really quick. Hang on, really quick. So she cut her hand off to get into the hospital. Oh, I to forgot the about that. Yes. To, hang on, to put the bubonic <laughs> plague medicine in the dead baseball player. <laughs> Myself, well, I'm sure your wife helped a little. I really learned the value of prioritization, managing my time, because as a parent, every minute is precious. Well, those are some great life lessons, Roman. And while they don't make me want to have kids myself, I'm glad you found time to prioritize reading the entire run of Kazuo Umez's horror sci-fi epic, The Drifting Classroom. Umez, or Umezu, has been publishing manga since the 1960s, and not only is he a legend in the horror genre, he's also directly inspired... Other horror legends like Junji Ito. Winner of the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Best Comic Creator 2005. And the the person that Roman reads before he goes to bed every night, just to make sure he has a peaceful sleep. I'm numb to it all. I'm numb to it all now. <laughs> well, I hope you weren't numb to The Drifting Classroom, which was published from 1972 to 1974. It opens with a boy named Sho having a red-blooded heated argument with his mother he storms out screaming how he never wants to see her again and he gets to school just on time when boom there's an explosion and the school and everyone in it is transported to some other place and some other time and that's when the group activities kick off in earnest part horror part science fiction part lord of the flies the drifting classroom alternates between being incredibly sad incredibly goofy and incredibly disconcerting if we were to compare it to other comics we've reviewed in this podcast besides the obligatory junji ito i'd say it has the premise of black science and the madcap what the fuckery of chester brown's ed the happy clown throwing a little beneath the planet of the apes and lord of the flies for good measure indeed and i'm sure we're going to talk about that because i am actually dying to know what my partner in crime the otomo to my show or maybe the show to my otomo thought about it rumen have you now reevaluated how you want to rear your children well i mean i'm already preparing to send them a spaceship <laughs> in the future full of supplies and dried goods so uh yeah so they don't so they don't end up cannibalizing each other that's a smart thing well i mean was it was it i wasn't it just a roasted pig it was just a roasted pig <laughs> from the land of the future oh my god ryan uh, you know daddy i, I ate human you. flesh and i liked it that's <laughs> sorry <laughs> name of the episode you know so the the reprinted edition, I believe we read, is like a, a three-phone book reprinting, but the original books came out in the 70s. And I had to look that up because I got major Lord of the Flies vibes, which came out in the 50s. I also got major Beneath the Plane of the Apes vibes. And, you know, it, volume one, the kind of sheer human horror, kind of classic The Walking Dead, it's not the zombies that are the monsters, it's us. That kind of Lord of the Flies-esque, humanity at its worst when the chips are down we just become savages i really 
as as far as reading a horror comic, I don't really enjoy these sort of things. But I was jamming with that. But because but then the more we got into sci-fi, and I'm not even talking about the time travel. Like I love me some good time travel and time paradox stuff. But the other sci-fi ness of it, it's just like the people are terrible enough. Can't we just spend a lot of time simmering on that? And I really wonder if it was like the, the grind of having to get one of these out every single week, like an issue out of this every week, just kind of had it increasingly upping the ante, but it was like this droning on borderline jumping the shark by the end of it. Like, I, yeah. I'm really getting numb to horror, Ryan, by you making me read all this shit. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a sense where he's making it up as he goes along. And sometimes you, can oh no, of, bubonic plague. Yeah. And some, yeah, you, you kind of, you kind of see him thinking, okay, so, oh no, how do I get out of <laughs> Right. Appendicitis, bubonic plague. There's that incident where the kid, where they discover this garden, but it's from this kid's imagination. That was cool. Right? That was fucking cool. Yeah, yeah no. but but yeah, so the, the shit that was like swings spiritual and mental energy. Yeah, but the spiritual mental energy time travel stuff, like and and people are just assholes. Like that stuff, that is the stuff of horror. But but the we're all gonna get the plague. Like, yeah. Anyway, sorry. But there's definitely you know he has to come up with kind of the villain of the moment or the threat of the moment, right? Whether it's the bubonic plague, which inexplicably comes up, whether it's creatures that future humans that or whatever the hell they are whether it's rival bullies in the school and every every episode kind of has this sort of new threat and sometimes it sort of makes sense within the context of the world that he's created and sometimes it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense but it's it's always interesting i guess you know because i kind of this is why i compared it to chester brown's uh ed the happy clown because he he was definitely Mm. making that up as he went along it got Mm. completely outlandish it got really outlandish because he was trying to chester brown was trying to bring together certain threads that really probably shouldn't be together and Mm. you definitely see that in the drifting classroom particularly at the end you know there's an adult villain the bread man yes and he's he's this kind of like constant threat throughout because he's trying to steal all the kids food he's homicidal and then there's this moment where he pretends to be like infantilized and i think that's just kind of kazu mez's way of kind of writing him out for a little bit and then he comes back at the end very very briefly and he dies in the most inexplicable way I, I let's just say that there's no way anyone would predict how this guy ends up meeting his demise because it's completely out of left field. And you know, on the one hand, it's it's one could say it's completely out of left hand. Left hand, Sorry. yeah. It's 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 ridiculous. It's and it's not. There's nothing. And it, and it hadn't been. A, it had, yeah, it hadn't been. No, established. it's like, yeah. like like there's this one. There's this one. Um, there's this like 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 strip before he kind of like starts to establish how this guy's gonna die, and you're just like, okay, it's kind of random, and then you see how it kind of pays off, and you know he's clear. It's clearly one of those things where you're, you're making it up as you go along, but at the same, and so while I I kind of acknowledge from like a storytelling perspective, it's wonky as hell. It's also really just I just kind of admire the audacity and absurdity of the situation and that's kind of often how i felt with the drifting classroom even in moments that made no effing sense or where it was clear you know kazu umez was just like i just need to figure out how to end the story 
he often does it in a way that's just so weird. You're, you're you almost kind of want to applaud him. Well, even I mean, the ending, I actually didn't mind the ending, like the way, you know, they they kind of uncover there is this weird spiritual connection between Sho and his mom and someone has latent psychic abilities and she's the anchor Nishi to all that. And like they were planting the seeds of there's this weird thing between sense and memory and transcending time and space like throughout the whole book. So the way they kind of end the book, right? Like we we're going to try. We think we know how to solve this problem. It actually lands pretty well, but it's the oh, we've got to tie up the loose thread of the villain that's been there through the whole thing. Like, while there are multiple villains and bosses as you go through it, is the one. He's like the ultimate enemy throughout this whole thing that's been uh, torturing them. And again, he's not necessarily the best villain, but he's been around since the literally yeah. since the first volume. The first and volume. so it was appropriate to have him at the end, but the way they chose to dispose of him, uh, they're... I can come up with like a million different ways you could have had it be a little bit more poetic, right? Like maybe you was involved or and yeah. he was involved, but or show, you know, show he that our hero or protagonist, he wrestles with killing, right? He inadvertently kills someone with, in the first kind of time thing. But later on, he struggles with it. And you really could have made that a thing like the first like one of the first willful killings or you could have had another person redeem themselves or you could have had the princess come back from the from, right. from the desert like there's a million things you could have done with it but to have the dismembered hand of let's a just guy, yeah let's just yeah. spill it let's just spill how he dies he the there's towards the end of of the the series it's revealed that there was actually another person who is hanging around the school and his left arm and part of his face <laughs> got teleported to this extra dimension or this or the future whereas the the guy's main body and you know is is still is like in a hospital somewhere and so in the present in the present yes day, yeah. so basically at the end the disembodied arm and the disembodied face stole away in a kid's backpack and when sakai is coming to disrupt the kid's final attempt to return to the real world the disembodied parts go and strang basically strangle him <laughs> yeah and that that's that's literally what happens that's literally how he dies <laughs> no metaphors there but what did it mean <laughs> it, 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 I, it meant it meant it meant, it meant, it meant kazuo mez had a deadline <laughs> i again something that comes up over and over again on this podcast is, you know, we weren't reading it the way it was meant to be read. If this was read an issue a week, again, you still might feel the show has jumped the shark, right? But, you know, it's just kind of show a show never jumped the shark. Show never found any sharks. Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there were more like squid amoeba things. No, I, and even that, like, I, I brought it, I keep bringing up Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the sequel to the original Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes. Because what's discovered is, you know, at the very end of Planet of the Apes, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, he discovers he's not on an alien planet. He's in the far-flung future, right? With the Statue of Liberty at the end of the movie. I'm sorry if I spoiled Planet of the Apes for any of our 50 listeners, but, you know, it's a great movie. So in the second movie, they decide to presuppose, they introduce new characters of the, the survivors of humanity these kind of mutant beings who have this weird cult-like society underground. And they kind of do that in this comic book. And I, I'm very curious to, because this both, around, you know, I'm going to look this up right now. Beneath the 
planet of the... And again, this is not a unique or original trope, but Belief the Planet of the Apes came out in 1970, and Drifting Classroom, I believe, was 74? 72 to 74, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah, so would have, the timelines would have... Could I mean, and, and again, I'm not even saying Beneath the Planet of the Apes was the first person to come up with this idea of in the far future, after humanity has fucked it all up, some people survive and evolve underneath. Because you have these weird alien-like creatures... And I didn't mind that. Like, the terror of what has evolved is interesting. <laughs> what I didn't appreciate was, and we're going to show you, like, there, there's all this allusion to the plague that was happening and they're trying to tie all these strands and kind of failing at it. And again, this is me nitpicking, to be very clear. It was an enjoyable romp. Yeah. But I, I get, I got taken out of the romp. Like, I couldn't suspend my disbelief far enough when stupid shit like that would happen, if that makes sense. There's definitely stuff where I'm just like, this is really the decision you want to make, and it kind of, like, drains the terror out of it. But, exactly, you know, exactly. but I will say, like, the Drifting Classroom is not terrifying all the way through. It, it the, the, the tone changes. There are moments that are really horrifying. Like, when you see that kid on a cross, or when they start cannibalizing each other. Right, um, this was the scariest comic book you made me read. So I mean I'm being sincere when I say that. Like yeah, you this got, book you disturbed me. me more than everything else. Yeah, I said that the first volume was like incredibly, incredibly disturbing, and I think the first volume is probably the most disturbing volume and the best one because it just kind of it it, it starts out kind of grounded, right? This kid is you know having a quarrel with his mom, but he tries to do something nice and buys her a watch, but nevertheless they they're they're at each other's throats and they say something they both regret at the end, and then the kid is gone, and. You know, you you start to see all of the norms, all of that normalcy start to devolve really, really, really quickly. And when the kids start to be start getting killed, start getting stabbed, when they turn on each other, it's really shocking. When the adult when the adults turn on them, when the adults turn on them, also, yeah, it's it's horrifying. And you know, and 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 why and why why it's horrifying is because a lot of us like to think, you know, at the end of Independence Day, humanity pulls together for to defeat the aliens and if the last two years have taught us anything is humanity is not at its best in a crisis we are at each other's throats and that's what this book presupposes and that's why it was disturbing and then to see it play out with children like these adults like there was a school full of you know this is kind of a boarding school of about a thousand children so you have to assume at about a one to 20 one to 35 ratio hundred at least a hundred teachers Am I doing math right? Probably not. But, and very quickly, we do away with all of them. And these these adults, none of these adults can cope. Or, and one of them takes it upon himself to get rid of all the other. It's just yeah. kind of like, it's half unbelievable, but it's half, yeah, uh, I can buy that. Like, these people are assholes. I think what's it's very what's, upsetting. What's shocking also with the adults, the teachers, when you first see them, they seem very normal. They're dressed in their suits. They seem, you know, they're, they're, they're all kind of good looking. They all look like they're in control of the situation. And then to see how the teachers start to become completely unhinged and start to kill the kids, you know, that's 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 shocking it's just such a reversal of when we first meet the the teachers and they're just doing regular teacher things there's a moment uh, and by the way i checked my math if there were uh, roughly a thousand students one adult per every 25 students that's 40 adults you know and that's not even counting like support staff right like janitors and cleaners and so however many there were right so i'm not i'm not saying the math was wrong but it's just like where were the adults 
and they did away with them in a really weird way, or they all just chose to be blatantly irresponsible to kind of solving this problem. But there's this one moment, and I, I was trying to find it, where show and the team have some adventure. I think it's after the plant adventure or the first time the kids are kind of at odds with each other. And they they kind of triumph. And show says something to the effect of, there's, there's a bigger lesson to be learned here. Or there's something more upsetting about what just happened. About how we don't have shared humanity, basically, is kind of what he's reflecting on. And that was one of the single most scary and kind of present lines. Because... You know, when your back's up against the wall, you should try to pull together and salt. And they try. They're like, okay, let's conserve the pool water. Let's gather all of our food together. Let's put all the animals, you know, like they are trying to do those very the Martian like things that you try to save the potatoes, etc. But man, they just keep fucking it up over and over again. Yeah, actually, that was really interesting to me. There would be like every time there's like one step forward, there would be like five steps back, right? They would get the water. They figure out, okay, we got to get the water. And then there, I mean, sometimes it'd be an external situation. They would, the water would just drain out. But there are oftentimes it's, there's some sort of self-sabotage within the group where for whatever reason, they can't get along and they can't work together. And so every time they make some progress, it's sort of ripped away from them. And they're left in a worse situation, and that was that was another one of those the traits of like of, of it's, an, it's an allegory of our it's an allegory of our modern civilization in crisis. Honestly, like yeah, when confronted with a crisis, this deck of cards we have is so fragile, and we don't know how to stack it back up again. Yeah, and and at the end, you know, I mean, this is one of the issues I had with the ending, is that because that sort of pattern had been so ingrained, you know, at the end. There's sort of this moment like, yes, from now on we'll work together. And everyone's like, Hooray! We're all going to hold hands. We're all going to hold hands. And it's just like, really? Because like right before that, you guys were trying to kill each other with spears. And right before that, you were eating each other. Like literally roasting <laughs> each other's bodies on a spit and cutting pieces off and eating. That was in the comic. So it's sort of like suddenly this moment where we're going to work together. Yay! Hooray! It's, it feels a little false. I understand that, you know... We try to end it right now, but it's one of those where it it just feels like, you know, it goes against everything that the drifting classroom had been setting up in the first couple of volumes to have it end. Well, it as if like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. I know you ate our classmate, but hey, he was dead already. There's there's a couple of podcasts I like that you know pick apart superhero movies and uh, podcasts or YouTube series. That pick apart, you know, like the things that didn't really quite work with that plot. And if we could tweak one thing, Nando V movies is one of them. And I felt like as I was reading this, there's probably like five or ten pivot points where there's something you could have done more with. Like one small change. And there's a lot of them. And mm. like I'll give you one easy one. Like, so it's clear time travel is involved. We're not going to try to explain how the time travel happened. It's, there's some explanation. But, okay, we're millions <laughs> of years in Earth's well, future. A disgruntled student tried to blow up the school <laughs> but but more interestingly we know as well there is some weird temporal spirituality sort of shit going on yeah right like we're now in the future where maybe uh what's in our mind can be manifested into reality through one person who is a latent psychic we can now commune with the path all okay so i can accept i'll suspend my disbelief and so you could have made those sort of things the root cause or the root solution. And to be clear, they did make that the solution. But an example of, okay, so what 
what drove it. Like, I, I was really hoping something with the mm. watch. So, again, at the beginning, Sho and his mom have a massive, massive argument. And I don't remember if before or after the argument, he feels bad about it. And he goes and buys his mom a watch. And that watch, he drops on the street. And he almost runs into traffic to get it. And the watch is wrecked. But this watch was symbolic of his love and forgiveness and all that stuff. But a watch is a symbol of time. And I just like, I almost wonder if like, could finding the watch have been Mm. the thing? Like, it's just, there's so many things you could have done with that, you know? And there were so many, and that's symbolic in my critique of there were so many moments, like Sakaya could have been a better villain. The kid who manifested reality with his mind, um, even uh, their nerdy friend. I love the fact that they had a nerdy friend who could explain quantum physics to everybody, you know, like, so yeah, I, uh, a lot of missed opportunity, but again, this guy was painting a story in a time when this sort of story probably wasn't told that often. So uh, yeah, I, no, I mean, I agree with you. Like it's, it's, it's fuse in a lot of places, like a rough draft, right? Where he comes up with an interesting idea, like midway through or two thirds of the way through and he throws it in there. You know, it's almost sort of like one of those things where if you were to go back and refine it, you would kind of tie up those loose ends. Yeah. You would yeah. kind of take maybe something that you established in the first volume and maybe tie it up in the third volume. You know, as it, as it stands, it's sort of like, it's it's like a frayed rope, right? You have all of these little narrative threads that are going off and sometimes, and you can kind of tell when he's trying to, trying to end it in a very perfunctory way. Like the return of the queen. The queen was this bully who showed up in volume one. She returns in volume three. We're looking like shit and then basically dying. Um, wait, 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 hang on. So that queen at the end, was that the woman who declared herself the princess and ran off? Yeah, that was her. That that's that was her. So we don't we don't know how she aged out because now she's a woman. She's an older well, woman. Well, I just thought that she looked really she just had a really bad time in the desert. No, no, but so in book so in book one, more or less, there's another faction of kids yes. led by girls who declare them when show goes off, I think on the like the plant forest mission, who declares herself the queen, no, I'm the princess, we're in charge now. They have some conflict and they exile her or she chooses to leave with her friends. And so you're saying that's the same person who yeah. came back. Yeah. And, oh, she is an old woman. So she was a fifth grader at the beginning. And now when all the other kids are still fifth graders or first graders or whatever, she is an old woman. And so all of a sudden that's like, oh, so time doesn't function linearly here. That's interesting. Let's go with that. What I, can we do here? You know, I didn't interpret that as of her aging. I just interpreted that as, man, the desert sands were really rough on her tender skin sort of situation. Like she's no, just, I'm now I'm going back to see like, was she, uh, she looked yeah, aged. Did... She looked, she looked like she'd aged, but I kind of figured that was just, you know, she just had a bad time out in the desert, but you know, why does she return? Why does she direct them to so-called paradise? I mean, obviously it's to get them to that place, but it, doesn't really you know resonate with the rest of the the you know the narrative it's like to your point remember this is a weekly strip that came out it's kind of like jazz or improv so he's just trying a lot of things and that that's not because again the ride is fun if you just kind of read it and let go a little bit the ride is fun but there are kind of a couple of things where he's trying to set something up or trying to say something and it doesn't pay off later on 
Well, I want to talk about some of the stuff that really resonated with you in a positive way. And you mentioned sort of the psychic time, time warpy type of stuff. And then could you, could you kind of drill into that? Like what was really interesting to you about that? What, what really got to you? I mean, look, say what you will about the Terminator movies, but (laughs) (laughs) time travel is fucking cool, man. Like time travel, it's like what happens in the past? How does it happen? There, there was a series called after a book called after earth where it's, uh, talks about like if a humanity leaves this planet like what would happen to all the bridges and the tunnels and the forests and the planet of the apes movies both the reboots and the old ones talk through that and so to see that the whole world is desert this building is transported and even like the psychic connection like the first time show was constantly calling out to his mom and he's in this he finds himself in the ruins of this hospital being attacked by the the teacher who killed all the other teachers and he's like, I wish I had a weapon, mom, mom, I need a weapon. Mm-hmm. And he sends like this, this thought back to his mom through this powerful emotional connection through the eons. And so in the present day, mom is really upset and she's hearing this message and she follows the message into the hospital or something like that. Right. And she devises all of these ways to, oh, it was in a hotel, sorry, not a hospital, the hospital was something else later with the baseball player. And she spends weeks trying to solve for this problem, how to get this knife in this room where she feels the psychic energy of her husband and plastering it in the wall. And that's, I mean, it's, is it ridiculous? Sure. But that was interesting, right? Because it plays on the two elements of emotional connection and time. Same thing. It's a little weirder with the baseball player. And the it is a little weirder playing with the medicine. Player. I I actually kind of appreciated that. For one, it was sort of a break in you know because the the where the kids are is really oppressive. It's just this mm-hmm. desert mm-hmm. landscape. And so when we cut to the mom back in sort of I guess modern Tokyo, and she's the only woman who has hope and who has not moved. And on. she's trying to find her kid. It's sort of like it's it's sort of like a break from all of that oppression. And also, it's kind of fun to see to see the mom's antics and how she's able to get first the knife to her son and then later on the the bubonic plague medicine which she really quick hang on really quick so she cut her hand off to get into the hospital oh i forgot about that yes to to put the bubonic (laughs) plague medicine in the dead baseball player who is the corpse or the mummy in the far future but anyway yes they find the the bubonic plague medicine in a mummy that's one of show's (laughs) favorite baseball players in the future he's mummified somehow (laughs) I don't know how but, why no one ever claimed his body, but whatever. Why 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 could that cutoff hand not have been the cutoff hand from the other guy? Like there's so many like you know like things where you could have made the things more Seinfeldian connected, right? And you didn't. I'm not I'm not saying I liked the like the rogue hand thing, and nor should the mom's cutoff hand been in the thing. But there's easier ways to get into a hospital. But to your point, these are antics that the mom's going through. Yeah, I, I was a little bit disappointed. There's that scene, oh, where when there's that when they're underground in Volume Three, and the the things start to explode because he's like, "It's a pipe. It must be a pipe." And he's like, "Mom, mom, you gotta stop them from installing a pipe in the subway." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'm kind of curious how Tush is gonna do." And they don't deliver on it. And they don't deliver on it. I was a little bit disappointed. He was like, "Oh, I can't reach mom." It's sort of it's almost sort of like Kasuo Meza sort of like. I have no idea how she's going to get a pipe, how she's not, how she's going to keep people from installing a pipe in the subway. But well, and in book in book one, it was really interesting when they established that first connection with the mom. Yeah, I was like, oh, that this is a really cool construct. So we're going to spend a few chapters in the Lord of the Flies kids' future, and we're going to spend 
one chapter in the present day leftover style, right? And that's kind of interesting. And I really, again, it only kind of, there were only kind of three tropes with the mom, ultimately. And I feel like you could have done more with that to make this kind of more of a duality story that being about s- forgiveness and survivorship. Yeah, that being said, though, when the mom does send the spaceship, I was just like, of course she does. <laughs> Like a spaceship well, land. She, like, she got in touch. She got in touch with the Americans, yeah, which yeah. Sakaya was hoping for. She probably got in touch with like an Elon Musk type, you know? Yeah, I guess she. I guess she did. I. I. I just kind of love that. That's just what happened. It's like a spaceship lands with all the supplies, and it's like, hey, it's from your mom from the past. It's like, oh, of course it is. <laughs> oh man. I'll tell you what worked for me, though. So what, what resonated with me the most was, I mean, aside from that sort of madcap, again, knowing knowing that shit doesn't always pay off, that madcap adventure sort of style. Aside You from know what else doesn't pay off, Ryan? Appendicitis. Appendicitis. And I think they actually teased that earlier, right? They thought that somebody had appendicitis, but it was bubonic plague. Of course, <laughs> and he's like, I've been mis- I misdiagnosed him. Wait, where did where did the plague come from? Like, and again, oh, a squirrel? Plague, no, no, a squirrel. Uh, one of the one of the. Oh right! Oh, so it was yes. the past squirrel. It Remember was the they past. Ki- squirrel. Okay. They killed. They killed yeah. the squirrel. They 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 killed yeah. the squirrel. It, it in the present day, they show plague. the news of the two squirrels that they're trying to catch. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So that's of course somebody had a pet squirrel with bubonic plague that happened to get blasted off with the rest of the classroom. It happens. But to, to his credit, then, because I wondered about that later when they showed the squirrel, uh, that that is that is an example of tying it together. Then, so you know, even though the plague was a little weird, they set in the present day. The plague is an issue. So okay, well, kind of. It it was it was kind of one of those things where he's sort of like, oh yeah, there's a squirrel that's loose in the school. It kind of happened like around the same time they discovered the bubonic plague. So it did kind of feel like Umez is sort of like, all right, I gotta just circular, circular, yeah, eh. invent how it got here. Um, but, but the stuff that actually really resonated with me was seeing, actually there, you know what, there was a, there was a scene where a uh, show and everyone comes home or goes back to the school after a mission. And he says, I'm home. And everyone kind of says I'm home. And it's sort of this really bittersweet moment where they are finally acknowledging that that school is going to be their new home. And so there's this feeling of sort of, of loss that, I wouldn't say permeates throughout the book, but that arises occasionally. And when it does, I think it's 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 really sad because these you you see these kids start to evolve as they realize that there is no home but what they have in front of them. They will never see their parents again. So let's all fight. <laughs> so let's and then it always and then it, it descends into madness inevitably. But I always kind of like those moments where you know they're just trying to trying to survive and and accept the fact that this is their this is their existence now i but again and that's what's i again i actually don't mind the lord of the fliesness of you know civil let's try to fight hard for civilization versus kind of savage tendencies i like that tension what i didn't like and and so I I don't know what I'm saying here, but it's like I but I didn't appreciate that time in and time out. Maybe the better way to construct it was you just watch more and more peeling off in, of people and succumbing to the madness. Like different factions and groups of kids get peeled off for different reasons and different superstitions. For a while, I wondered if every villain was one of the seven deadly sins and kind of how it was being written out. And that that didn't play out, but it's 
I, the thing that was upsetting uh, from a legit this book disturbed me was it was so truthful to when left to our own devices when the chips are down we will do the worst possible thing like that's yeah like if there's one thing that, that like, was really consistent. disturbed me about this book was the reflection on honestly our society yeah and and again kind of not to repeat myself but that's one of the reasons why i didn't like the ending if obviously you have to end it somehow but it, it felt like too too frankly optimistic for what had been established this is just this is just not this is there is no optimistic view of humanity in this in this book yeah yeah and and so to bring it in at the end not just with the you know how we make the little boy go home i actually thought that was beautiful but the spaceship <laughs> like would you recommend this to who and to whom would you recommend it like what, what sort of reader do you think would appreciate this i don't know if i'd recommend it because i honestly ryan like i uh, the quarantine comics listener i would recommend this to you know because those of you that want to discover new comics that you think you've read everything you think you've seen everything you read a lot of manga like the beautiful thing about this it's something that i'm obsessed with as a as a fan of music as a fan of comic books it's like who are the people that influenced the greats? And this is mm. the guy who came before Junji Ito. Was Junji Ito inspired by this guy? I don't know, but I'm assuming it sounds he says, like... Yeah, he's, he's in interviews, he said he has. He was. Yeah, so then it's you can kind of see the strands of creation that might have inspired another great. So for that reason, if you're a fan of the medium, if you feel like you've read everything and seen everything, yeah, give this a try. Like, if you like lord of the if you liked or were disturbed by beneath the planet of the apes or lord of the flies give it a try this is the raw cousin to it this is the origin material right to some of this or even again you you cannot not think that umez was not influenced by lord of the flies when you read this so if that kind of thing strikes your fancy or you have a comic book podcast buddy that you really <laughs> want to weird out give it a try <laughs> but ryan i i actually i have a question what are we reading next week? Next week, we are reading Squire by Sarah Alfagi and Nadia Shamaz. Now, Squire is a book that is Muslim, but not really Muslim. It's a young adult graphic novel set in an alternate history, Middle East, North Africa. And I discovered this book by just kind of reaching out to a bunch of Muslim comic creators. And I got to meet Sarah Alfagi on my other podcast, Modern Minorities. We had a great conversation she gave me a lot of advice as a comic book creator, but it's just this like deep world building and it's the holy month of Ramadan. So we're teaming up with our friends of the pod, Lena and Aman Sharif from the Ground Geeks podcast. We're going to do a crossover podcast with them to talk about Squire in a world that covers like the military empire, the military Baitsaji empire, the Ornu people, and a young woman's full path to citizenship. Squire. It's going to be a lot of fun with our friends from Grounded Geeks. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.